Hello and welcome to Penalty Box Ready here in ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford along with Abigail Martin in for Glenn Blackwell and producer Kenny taking care of us tonight. So Abigail, thank you so much for, for jumping in last minute again. I know Glenn appreciates that. She's been very busy um, selling them houses. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, definitely going to take my wins when I, where I can and big congratulations to her. But thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. As always, definitely appreciate your, your time and all your effort, too, and your work covering Predators games for Penalty Box. You've been doing and, and a fantastic job, uh, especially with the pivoting that's had to happen the past couple seasons, too. So really appreciate you stepping in there. So let's go right into the Predators games, especially last night, a, a much needed victory. I mean, we, we've all been looking at the standings. We see how Dallas and Vegas are continuing to creep up and the Predators have been that's like the best like sound effect to describe the way they've been kind of playing where they'll get a win then they'll play down in the competition and so a home game against the Minnesota Wild who are above them in the standings was absolutely vital to get a victory to build on momentum because the Predators have a very very difficult schedule to close out the regular season that could be good because they tend to play up to their opponents as well and in a 6-2 win against the Minnesota Wild they absolutely completely did that a very physical game with ridiculous amounts of penalty minutes between the two teams Uh, Ryan Johansson hat trick uh, a a record night for Yusuf Saros in terms of saves just your overall take on this game and what it means potentially what they can build on going into even more difficult games coming up this weekend well, I'm going to go ahead and take a little bit of credit for it because the past two games that I've been able to work for Pony Box Radio have been history-making nights. <laughs> um, of course, last night, Johansson got his first ever hat trick. That was my first ever hat trick I've seen while covering it, so that was super cool. But you also had a few guys making multi-point nights, Tomasino, Duchesne, uh, Forsberg, obviously Ryan Johansson, and then, of course, Saros' saves as well. And then not to mention, I thought we all thought it was going to be physical, right? Obviously, division rivals. And it's a tough spot. There's, you know, at the time it was 14, 13 games remaining for this Nashville Predators team. Burrow and Fabro come back into the lineup last night. And what does Burrow do the first three minutes that he's into the game? Gloves are tossed. Same as McCarron. So we had two fights within the opening, like, less than five minutes into the game. So you're like, okay, it's going to be a boring night, you know? And they only proved that with a 6-2 to two victory. And I know post-game, a lot of – the, what, the answers that we were hearing were, of course, the identity, that this is something that the team has been so pressured and focused on is building the foundation. And when you get into rough spots, you can go back to the identity of the team, and that's what's going to pull you out of slumps when it's going to get you out of that. Of course, I'm not talking like a seven-game losing streak that we saw a few years ago, but they really harp onto that. But they said, I think even Duchesne was like, you know, we play to the other opponent's standards. At the beginning of the season, he was like, "They're getting, we're getting whooped by these teams that are higher than us. But now we've learned we like to play in that competitive atmosphere. That's where we thrive. And that was the adjective he used a lot, was that we thrive under this sort of pressure. And so obviously with the success of Yossi and his leadership, this team is putting it all together when it matters. And I feel like that's something that we've said a lot over the past few years covering this team. But, I mean, last night wasn't boring. And to do that against the Wild, like you said, with the standings and the season wrapping up, it's a good time for it to fall together however it does. Oh, absolutely. You're completely right with that, too. And it's it's one of those things. I know they were talking about this on Darren Donegan Chase. I know Darren was talking about this with, with Mace, D-Mace, to be specific. 
that could you look at this team and you have Roman Yossi, who is having a Norris caliber and potentially heart caliber season. You have Yusuf Saros being Yusuf Saros, kind of falling by the wayside in terms of an actual Bezina-like trophy season, but still very good season from Yusuf Saros. Nothing taken away from him. Uh, it's difficult to win the Bezina trophy. Then you have Ryan Johansson scoring the most goals he has as a Predator. You have Tanner Janot, who is having an a, insane, especially for Predator standards, an insane rookie year. You have Matt Duchesne, well, should be a 40-goal scorer. Philip Forsberg, a 40-goal scorer. So you have all these things happening, yet they're in the fight of their lives for the playoffs. Can you imagine that? Most teams, you would think, if all these players having those types of career-type years, that a team wouldn't be in this position. You'd expect them to be a little bit higher in the standings. Just it, I want to say it shows how competitive the Central is. It shows how overall even it's kind of been that it's been such a battle, unlike the East, where you definitely have a top half. Here you have a lot of teams that are – fairly similar in terms of compete level, all battling, like four teams battling for two spots of the wild card. Right. And then going back to what you were talking about with Janot, I mean, going to the leaderboard, let's start there. You've got Yossi, you have a defenseman leading the club in points. He's got 83. Then you trickle down to go to Duchesne, 72, Forsberg, 69. Joey has 54. And then Granlund has 51. Can you say his name for me, please? Granlund? Mikael Granlund. Thank you very much. I had to get that in there. So sorry. But, and then, of course, Saros is 47 saves. But going back to your point with Janot, leadership has come from the younger part of this team, which is something I don't think a lot of people expected. Because here's the thing about last night. Obviously, 6-2 to two win as the season dwindles down, you're fighting for a playoff spot. You need that, especially at home. And fun fact, if you didn't catch it in my game recap, the Nashville Predators have not lost to the Minnesota Wild at home since 2016 last night would have marked their eighth game that they've remained undefeated so you know pretty cool number um but going back these younger guys have had to step up but last night you know many people were having multi-point nights as I was saying earlier but they're who you expect to show up every single night Janot I know the Predators are leading with rookie goals in the NHL and that's going to be a huge part and like you were saying I mean Looking at the numbers, you're like, oh, this team's obviously in the playoffs, but that's not the case. And so if they are going to tell us anything, it's going to be in these next few games coming up, um, Ottawa, Panthers, Penguins, just as they finish out the rest of their season, if they're really going to stick to their identity or if that was just for show. You, you bring up a good point. So speaking of identity, <laughs> there's definitely some pre-playoff vibes happening in terms of teams trying to show each other up on trying to intimidate a little bit. In terms of identity, aside from the scoreboard, <laughs> who won the identity battle in Predators versus Wild? Oh, my goodness. So like I said, there were two fights within five minutes into the game. <laughs> and I know a lot of people were like, were, were the Wild trying to set the tone early? I mean, obviously, they didn't do that great of a job. but for them to be able to do that, Tanner Janot never dropped the gloves. And so I think that tells you, if you're catching my drift, that tells you all <laughs> that you need to know. Um, I know I made the joke that Fiala was going to try and chirp at Janot just as a joke, just to be funny as the former predator, but he started chirping at Janot. And that's when I thought things were going to get a little bit, eh. but I mean, the Preds were able to hold their own and the shot clock obviously skyrocketed whenever they pull, pulled flowers with five minutes to go but they were able to hold on to that. And then going apart, also they made history again, like I was saying earlier, <laughs> but with getting the three power play goals in the first period, as well as three fights. So, I mean, you can call it a hat trick all on your own, but Ryan Johansson beat the wild technically 
by himself yep, last yep. night. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> okay, so going on with this team as well, it's been interesting in terms of the performance of the team. So, you know, people have been on edge, and the fans were pretty confident in uh, February, especially just seeing this team is going. Of This is a playoff team, and we've talked about it on here and everything, and they still should be a playoff team. Given the way this team has performed overall this season, they should absolutely be a playoff team. But you have other teams that have – creeped up in there it was one of those things too you, you see like their game against the philadelphia flyers and they respond with a 6-3 win over toronto but then they they, they would lose a, another game here or there where they'll make up for things and i mean they, they closed it off decently strong but then they lose that game against vegas which is a team they're battling uh, against as well and then they have another game which could be a trap game tomorrow thursday against ottawa in ottawa before they face the v florida panthers who are vying for the president's trophy who came back from a 5-1 deficit against toronto to win in overtime and we're going to talk with david dork who covers the florida panthers about that and more uh coming up uh here shortly on the show but when you're seeing these types of things happen how confident are you in this team to, to put it together, especially with all these back-to-backs and a tough schedule because it's back-to-back Florida and Pittsburgh and then Edmonton and then St. Louis, two against Calgary remaining, another one against Minnesota, Colorado, Tampa. It's a tough month. It's a tough month in terms of opponents, but even looking through it, there's a lot of back-to-back games, like playing Chicago Saturday, uh, Blues on Sunday, and then going down the list. So that's also going to take something different that we haven't been able to see. How, what is this team going to look like stamina-wise? What happens, I hate to be the one that says it, but just to be <laughs> realistic, if there's an injury that pops up, right. are they going to decide to rest him just because they're going to wait for the playoffs? Because, right. And then going back to your point with the back-to-back scores, with I mean, you kind of don't know what to expect. Going into the game last night, I didn't expect the Preds to win 6-2. to two. I would have never told you that would have happened. I would have told you it would have been a slow, boring game, which, of course, it wasn't. But, you know, they lose six to one, the fly, uh, excuse me, they lose six to one to Las Vegas and then they flip it and win five to four against the Flyers. Or like you were saying with the six one and they bounce back. If they make it to the playoffs, which it's going to take that Cinderella type of atmosphere, which we saw back in 2016, 2017, it's going to be slim thickens getting in there. But it's. Happy <laughs> <laughs> go, Martin. Anyways. Y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Yeehaw, giddy up, let's go. Um, <laughs> Um, but going to the playoffs, what they do on the road is going to be a huge point, especially because they're probably going to be the ones that aren't hosting. We know that they have success when they're playing at Bridgestone Arena. But if they can show that they bounce back, that gives me hope seeing them go somewhere. But that means when playoff time, you don't have the time to go six to one loss and then you're losing it. I mean, excuse me, you're winning the next in a thriller. Sure absolutely cannot happen you have to pick one you have to beat one or you're gone makes total sense we'll discuss that more in the next segment again abigail martin in for glenn black will join me she's been doing a fantastic job covering the predators as i have not been able to be there in person near as much had a slight illness last week uh, amongst other things going on so really appreciate abigail martin's coverage we'll be back with more talking about her experience so far this season covering the team but also how far could this team go in the playoffs if they were to make the playoffs which i know we all expect them to be there how far could this team really go once they make it to the playoffs all that up next penalty box radio espn 1025 the game and welcome back to penalty box radio here on espn 1025 the game justin bradford abigail martin in for glenn blackwell producer kenny taking care of us and let's continue our talk about the national predators especially 
since we weren't on last week and they had a really big win uh, last night against the Minnesota wild or Ryan Johansson hat trick, a big game from the stars, very physical battle as well too, where they played more of their brand of hockey, but Abigail, especially as you've seen this team progress throughout the season and, and being there for so many games now, what is something you're noticing, especially in their home games when they're trying to establish their identity, what has been your experience there too? How early do they need to establish this identity? Is it something like last night where it's like right off the bat? I mean, two minutes, 20 seconds into the game and there's fighting majors. Then uh, just a few seconds after that, another fighting major. How important is that at home to establish their identity? And what have you noticed? Especially with home games. I mean, for years, this team has shown that they love to play in front of their fans at Bridgestone Arena. And I think where it used to be a little bit of the crowd has to get them into the game. Now that they're trying to really buy into the identity that we've seen through the season, I think that they're trying to pick up the pace on their own instead of relying on the fans, which don't take that the wrong way at all. I would honestly, if I was a fan, I would take that in a great way because, you know, you're getting paid, whatever Philip Forsberg is hopefully about to get paid, you know, whatever that number is going to be. <laughs> you're expecting great results. And so to have that in front of you is exactly what it's going to take. And then again, with the young guys on this team, they're not acting like the young guys on the team, like being silent. I know with uh, Jeremy last night, he was starting to get a little chippy. And that's obviously with these Preds fans, if you go back to, we're going to bring up the making of Smashville, um, a great wrote that if you haven't checked it out yet. Um, (laughs) But this team was created to have, that blue collar local identity feel. And I know I've said multiple times that Tanner Janot is exactly that, but then you put in um, Jeremy who is just getting started with this team and he's already getting chirpy. Like, I don't mean that as he's going to take that as his role and he's going to be like Brian McGratton type of feel or Jordan Tutu, but it's a good way to make a mark and to make a standing. And if this team continues to have success, of course, down lower and the lines, but also from your top six where you're expecting the money to be paying off for everyone who showed success last night. Um, Joey, Forsberg, Yost, XYZ. That is going <laughs> to give you success. But Soros, I will say Soros has to get a lot cleaner. That comes from the defense as well. But I know a lot of fans are kind of like reluctant to put things on Soros because I think you still put them as like the baby brother type of mindset. <laughs> but he hasn't been playing the best as of of course not last night we're gonna look apart from that but he needs to definitely make sure that he is on his game because at the end of the day if they make it into the playoffs they won't last that long if they're if someone's putting up four goals in a matchup that's just it's not gonna work it can't fly in the playoffs which we've seen them lose six to one and we're also seeing too how important it is for the blue line to be healthy because when they've gone through these spats where especially Dante Fabro, Mark Borowiecki being out, it's rough. It's been rough. And so totally understand why you make that trade for, for Jeremy Lawson is to solidify that because the injury problems that have happened on the blue line. And as you, when you have Fabro back, especially Fabro, because a little bit more puck moving defenseman uh, and then Borowiecki for that, the physicality, which, He's a veteran, so he knows what he's supposed to be doing, too. You can see the defense kind of fill itself in a lot more than having to plant uh, even Matt Benning at times or Matt Tennyson, God forbid, Ben Harper, <laughs> and putting those guys in there. You, you see it fill in a little bit more, too, and that's, re- that's really vital as well because the defense for the past few weeks has been a little up and down due to injuries and everything. So having those guys back in health is going to be vital for this team in the long run, too, because – 
you say it all season, but it, it comes to play so much more now, which is every point matters. Every point is important. And it starts making you think back of, well, if they just would have had a goal here and they would have gotten two points or if they would have done this or if they would have done that. Uh, luckily for this team, they, they really haven't gone to overtime much <laughs> this entire season. So you can't go back and look at, well, if it weren't for that overtime or shootout loss, really not much to hang that on. Like there has been in maybe previous seasons where you'd have like 10 overtime losses. Like, come on, that's a point just being left on the board. Uh, but in, it in is, overtime, they lose the same way every single time. <laughs> right. So, but it's been different this season. But like you said, with, with Saros too, it's going to be vital for, for him to be consistent. And that is one of the things you see his last five games, yeah, only two goals against Minnesota, but a four, one, four, six, that's not the best save percentage or goals against average in your last five games. Yeah. It's a small sample size, but the, we, we know what he's capable of doing, but a lot of it does start with the team in front of him too. Uh, and so that identity is going to be ever so important for the team to have their identity and play like what we've seen them play. We see how they can play against really good teams. And I know there's some questions even came in about why do they play down? It's a mental thing. And that comes with the mental fortitude that John Hines has preached about since last season of having the mental fortitude because they should not be losing. Even if it was a big night for Buffalo, should not be losing to a team like Buffalo. That, that should not be happening. Uh, they should not have lost last month to a team like the Philadelphia Flyers that should not have happened, but then they go out and they'll whoop Toronto. So, so that that's one of those things too, is consistency is going to be so key and they're going to have to rely a lot on David Riddick this month too, because back to back this weekend, back to back next weekend, back to back the weekend after that, back to back to close of the season. There's no way Saros is going to play in those back to backs. So there's going to be some decisions are going to have to be made because it, it, you have Florida and Pittsburgh. Okay, I'm assuming Riddick's going to play against Pittsburgh, Saros against Florida. Then Chicago and St. Louis, you assume it's going to be Riddick against Chicago, Saros against St. Louis. Tampa Bay and Minnesota, that's a good one. <laughs> what do you do there? Uh, who's going to get Riddick and, and who's going to get Saros? Oh, Tampa Bay is away. Yeah, so <laughs> there's, there's a lot to go through there uh, for this team and what they're going to have to do to identify themselves through the stretch run. But every team's having to go through it. Every team has a ton of games this month they're having to deal with. Uh, so now switching gears back to just your experience, Abigail, too. What's it been like? Because for those that don't know, for the longest time, it was Zoom post games, especially like last season. And this year they, they introduced being able to go downstairs to the media room and they bring a player in to talk at a mic and people could ask questions there. And then you had the reemergence happen in the winter. So they went back to Zoom uh, and then, then back to the, the podium type of treatment. And now it's more easing back into a scrum where they're presenting a few different players where people are able to actually, media rooms are actually able to scrum and you feel more personal that way asking questions. What's that been like finally getting a little bit more back to normal to where you're able to ask questions and have more personal interaction with the players now post game? I'm not going to lie. I kind of forgot what it was like to be in a scrum. <laughs> I think it was, um, I can't remember the game right off the top of my head, but it was the night that Joey called Yost, um Roman franchise, oh. <laughs> franchise record breaking Yossi. And obviously that was a great quote to line back into. I mean, I'm not going to lie, but it was, you immediately get just in this little cluster of everybody and you're so close with these players, but the fact that they can look at you and figure out I don't know it's just it's completely different I know like 
sitting in a press conference room, you would think it's the same going from a press conference room to a scrum, but it's really not because you're standing less than two feet away and I'm super short. So I'm like yee-hawing my way, like having a personal rodeo <laughs> between trying to find a window. And then you're also trying to make sure like, you know, you're not blocking someone else and whatnot. So you're trying to be very conscious of where you are. Last night, I will say, I haven't told my mom this. So sorry, I'm telling you now. I almost got whacked with a camera, like the big oh, TV no. camera right in the head because of course you know whatever height wise that's just how it worked but (laughs) seeing joey last night you know they're having these conversations they're answering questions they're like okay you know business is business i want to eat i mean i completely understand i'd be the same way but he's walking away and you know you'd say congratulations joey like obviously it's his first hat trick and so it is much more intimate than you would think it was and if they bring out a player at a certain time i know Mm -hmm. they had yossi out and then Fabro come on over to the side and you can just slide away. And it doesn't even have to be like, you know, what did you think about the second goal of the night? It's how are you doing? How are you feeling? Um, you know, just catching up with them is super nice. And just seeing them in a background that's different than them having their uniform on, which I think is a great access point from being in the media, just being able to have casual conversations and, you know, doing that different aspect of it. So it's been really fun other than almost getting my head taken off from a TV camera <laughs> last night. I mean, and it does, it creates for, for better storytelling too, because you're able to ask even better questions because it feels like you said intimate and it's, it's intimate in the sense that you have more one-on-one opportunities for people to actually, for players, especially to actually answer your question. that feel like there's that separation of a table. I, people talk about body language, but think about when you're doing job interviews all the time, when there's someone behind a desk and you have that, that wall, that invisible wall, people cross their arms. It's all about the type of language and they give off when someone's at a podium, there's a separation. And so the, the answers don't feel necessarily as sincere or intimate sometimes. And it's not any fault of anybody's. It's just the environment that it is. And so being able to be one-on-one face-to-face with people changes the way you can get good answers out of athletes. And yeah, there's cliche that happens all the time. Talks deep, talk yeah. cheddar. But going like even <laughs> right into that, Duchesne last night, you know, I don't think he would have said this in a press conference, but he was talking about having a friend over to watch the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. And he made the joke that he was like, this tonight's game, which was last night's, of course, is going to feel like a playoff atmosphere. So you can have my tickets. And then he was like, I told him he got his money worth, but it was free. And he just like let out this big <laughs> laugh. Like you wouldn't have seen that otherwise. And then Yossi, I put a video up on Twitter if you missed it. If you just want to see Yossi smile, please go find it. Um, but he was answering a question about the night and then he, he was like, oh my gosh, I forgot to talk about Joey. And then let out this laugh. And it's just so much more natural. And it takes out those cliches a little bit, even though Duchesne talked about going top cheddar. But, you know, I can't expect much less. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Well, we, we've got to move on from the Predators topic. Let's move on to a topic of who they'll be playing soon and a team that is just blowing through this season, along with the Colorado Avalanche, the Florida Panthers, uh, David Dwork who covers the Panthers is going to join us up next year on penalty box here. It's it's Florida is a fun team. And it looks like more and more people are finally starting to realize that in Florida and filling that, that building because they, they need to be that team deserved to be supported down there. And there's some recognizable names down there. Patrick Hornquist being one of them. <laughs> I know that means a lot to Abigail. Uh, so let's talk about the Florida Panthers up next penalty box here to ESPN 1025, the game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Raider here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Justin Bradford, Abigail Martin, and for Glenn Blackwell, producer Kenny taking care of us. And on the line with us right now is David Dwork, who covers the Florida Panthers for WPLG Local 10 and also Chirping the Cats pod. 
and, and so many other things, just all within the sport of hockey and does so much uh, as well covering the team and within the sport. David, thanks so much for joining us, man. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So has your heart rate settled a little bit from last night's big win for that team over the, the Maple Leafs? I, I got to be honest. Uh, it's almost like you're getting used to these these crazy games. Like you're not really that concerned when they're falling behind by three, four goals. And it, it's as weird as it is to say, it's kind of becoming commonplace down here. And it was nice to see it happen against a team that's as, playing as well as Toronto. Um, I guess the only question is like, what, what's going to happen when the playoffs get here? Are they going to keep scoring this many goals or are they going to tighten things up? Uh, but yeah, for now, it, it's very exciting and fun hockey. That's actually a great point that I wanted to ask you about. We've talked about with the Predators, you know, they're losing six to one. They're bouncing back the next night. A lot of fluctuating with the terms of goal and goal scoring and whatnot with that. So you're saying that it's kind of normal for them to come back with that. So does that worry you going into the playoffs or do you kind of trust on that secondhand nature, if you will, to lead through the playoffs? Well, that's kind of the, the question. The, the main question as we head towards the playoffs is, is this going to be a team that continues to score between four and five goals a game? Or are, is the traditional playoff tightening going to happen? Less penalties are going to get called. Scores are going to get lower. And the Panthers are going to have to eke out a few more uh, hard-nosed playoff-type wins. Uh, if that's the case, then, yeah, there might be a little bit of a cause for concern because we haven't really seen them do that nearly as often as we've seen them win these, like, five to three or six to four-type games. Uh, I, I think it's going to come down to goaltending at the end of the day when the playoffs get here. As much as uh, they've been scoring like crazy, it's it's just hard to uh, to hang your hat on that being the case uh, to carry them through the playoffs just because it's so rare when a team, even as offense, I mean, just go back to a year ago with how amazingly offensively uh, talented Colorado looked. And in the, in the span of a, a game three, I believe it was against Vegas, they went from being this ridiculous juggernaut to a team that got knocked out of the playoffs. Uh, it's, it's that easy when you're relying on one really potent element of your game. So I'm hoping that the Panthers can figure it out and maybe play a little bit more uh, closer games down the stretch just to, to get into that playoff mode. But that's really going to be the question that needs to be answered is what kind of uh, what's what kind of team are they going to be? Are they going to be able to continue to be this offensive juggernaut when the playoffs start? Or are they going to have to lean a little bit more on their back end and their goaltending, which if that's the case, uh, certainly is a little bit more concerning than option A. Keeping everybody on their toes, trying to figure out which Panthers team is going to skate out that night. I get you right there. So with that, another surprise, different element. Who has been the biggest player that surprised you throughout the season? Oh man, that, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I, the, the two guys that popped to my mind straight off the bat are uh, playing on the same line right now. And that's Sam Reinhart and uh, Mason Marchment, Sam Reinhart. We we've known that he's been this, you know, amazing talent, obviously top three pick, uh, you know, played in Buffalo forever. So maybe a little bit masked, um, but he's having a career year here in Florida surrounded by more talent than perhaps he ever was in Buffalo. Um, May, I didn't really know what to expect with Sam just because he hadn't been in this kind of a situation before. So it's been a very pleasant surprise to see him being so consistent, regardless of where he's been in that top nine right now, because he is the line he's on is technically a third line with Anton Lindell and Mason Marchment. Although, you know, they're certainly not producing like a third line. Um, and then the other guy, Mason Marchment. I mean, this is a guy who came up through the ECHL, came up through the AHL. He, you know, undrafted, worked his ass off to get to where he is now. Um, and now he's putting up at more of a point per game pace. Uh, he's been amazingly consistent when he's in the lineup. 
uh, and just one of these guys that really came out of nowhere to be a, uh, a very consistent uh, contributor in this Panthers offense. So uh, if I had, I, it'd be hard to pin on one of those guys, but those have been probably the two most surprising elements for me. And that's, that, that's good because I think it's one of those things too, as a Western conference team here, it's always interesting to hear about the players that maybe don't get talked about as much, especially when it's a team that you just don't see that often when they're in a different conference. So it's always just good to be aware of those different players. Again, David Dwork joining us talking Florida Panthers uh, covers them for WPLG and chirping the cats pod down in Florida. So let's, let's go ahead and talk about the trade. Obviously it was a big one. You can tell how all in, the Panthers are this season, which they absolutely should be given their performance. Uh, but Claude Giroux just recently popped his first one in, in the back of the net for the Florida Panthers. What have you just, what's the take on that as well too? Obviously getting a player that has the offensive capability as a Claude Giroux is a big ad for that team. And how does it seem to be fitting in so far in just a couple of games that he's played? He seems to be fitting in great. Uh, I mean, he had eight assists before he picked up that first goal, so it's not like he wasn't contributing right. <laughs> offensively. Uh, but I, I love the way that Panthers interim head coach Andrew Burnett described Drew. Uh, or I believe, actually, my bad. I believe it was Bill Zito when he was talking about the trade. He's like, you're getting a guy who's good on faceoffs. He can score. He can pass. He's a two-way player. He plays He, he plays tough on the boards. He's, you know, he's a four checks like a beast. You're getting all of these attributes in one guy. Uh, and it was uh, just kind of pretty amazing to see as, as you said, the Panthers, I mean, they're all in, it's clear that they're all in. We knew that they were a Stanley cup contender before the trade deadline arrived. Mm-hmm. And then Bill Zito goes out and he brings in Ben Sherratt. He brings in Robert Haig. And then he gets the, the white whale, the, you know, the big, the big get of the deadline in Claude Giroux. And, and really just as with basically every other move that Bill Zito has made since arriving on scene in South Florida, everything just seems to fall right into place uh, guys fit in well off the ice. They contribute into the, into Brunette's systems that, you know, that he followed up from Joel Quinville systems and it, it just, everything just seems to be working in, in perfect harmony. Uh, and it just credit continues to have to go back to Bill Zito to just bring in all the right guys. Um, but I mean, with Claude Giroux, he's played center. He plays, he's played wing. We've seen him on the power play. We've seen him on the penalty kill. He's really been thrown, uh, you know, into the deep end and has not skipped a beat. Uh, it's been great to see. I mean, you would expect as much from a guy who's, you know, probably a future hall of famer. Um, and, and really it's just the question of how far is this Panthers team going to go? Because they are locked and loaded at this point. Uh, it's uncharted territory for hockey fans and followers in South Florida, no doubt, because they've never really been in this position before. Uh, but it's really cool to see it. And, uh, it just, you know, at this point, just waiting to see how it all plays out. Absolutely. And it's not too often when you see a trade like this happen to where a guy's coming in and over a point per game already <laughs> this deep in, I mean, sometimes people are just kind of waiting like, Oh, he's got to fit into the system. He'll be fine. Just wait till the playoffs. But Claude Drew coming in and, and chirping and with uh, nine points in eight games is, is definitely a positive thing to see uh, for what's to come. And you said it locked and ready to go. And there's that potential as well too. You know, Aaron Ekblad is just one of those guys been out due to injury for the rest of the regular season, but What's it looking like for him coming back in the playoffs to just even add more fuel to that fire of this team ready for a deep run? Yeah, all signs are currently pointing to Aaron Eckblad being ready to go uh, right around the start of the playoffs. The target that I've been told behind the scenes is early May, which, you know, that's when the playoffs will be starting that Mm -hmm. first week of May. Um, I don't know how much they'd rush him back or if he would need to be rushed back. Uh, we, te- we checked in with uh, Andrew Burnett earlier. Uh, is it last week? This It's so hard to keep track of the days. Today's, <laughs> today's Monday, right? So, or Wednesday. 
So it was last week. Um, recently, we checked in with uh, with Bruno on, on that play, and he said just like with his injury last year, he's healing ahead of schedule. He's working really hard to get himself ready to get back out there. Uh, I mean, we've seen with pr- particularly this year a lot more than last year that the Panthers, uh, you know, the train has kept going even after Ekblad got was hurt in that game in Anaheim. Um, where he fits in when he comes back is going to be an interesting question as well. Because he played on a pairing with Mackenzie Weeder all season, but now Weeder is looking really good paired up with Gus Forsling, and they were a very good, formidable pairing last year in the playoffs as well. So does Ekblad come back and play with Ben Sherratt? I would assume that when Ekblad comes back, he'd go back on that top power play as well. Uh, but it's going to be a lot of options uh, that Andrew Burnett's going to have to work around when Ekblad does return. But at this point, um, all signs are pointing to him coming back uh, at some point during uh, the Panthers' first-round series. And, uh, and at that point, it's just going to be, uh, you know, all signs or what, what's the, uh, all, all signs point to yes. Uh, <laughs> what's the magic eight ball say, uh, you know, it, yeah. it is inevitable <laughs> at this point, whatever it is, you know, something clever, but, um, that, that's basically where they're going to be assuming, you know, God willing, nobody gets hurt in the next 12 games. I mean, going back to players that you don't hear at, from as often, Former Nashville Predator Patrick Hornquist, who scored the dreaded game-winning goal in Game 6 in Bridgestone with Pittsburgh, is making his return to Nashville after being out with injuries. So what should everyone expect from this former Predator? Uh, I mean, Patrick Hornquist is maybe one of the most important players when you're talking about on and off the ice since he came to South Florida. Uh, He's really been the catalyst and the driving force behind this culture change that we've seen down here. He was the first domino that was brought in by Bill Zito. He was the first move Zito made when he was the GM and he's been so important to this Panthers team. Um, I mean, on the ice, it's probably the same player. You remember gritty as hell. He instantly goes to the, <laughs> to the front of the net. That's where he's going to be playing when he's out in the second power play unit. Um, and just, you know, he's got great hands. He's got a motor that doesn't stop. Maybe, you know, he's slowed down a little bit in the last couple of seasons, as you'd expect now, as he's getting into the later years of his career. But I mean, he's such an important player to this Panthers team. And yeah, he was out with uh, what they call a nagging injury. I think one thing that we've seen with the Panthers this year, Abigail, is the depth has allowed guys like Hornquist or Joe Thornton uh, an opportunity to maybe, excuse me, to rest up a little bit longer if they need to, to heal up a little bit more and uh, kind of prepare for what's hopefully going to be a long playoff run because guys like Hornquist and Thornton and Gudis, these veteran players are going to be the ones that they really lean on uh, when the playoffs start. Um, But it'll be great to see uh, Horny go back to, to Nashville. And, uh, I'm sure the fans there who are amazing, some of the best fans in the NHL, I'm sure they'll give him a nice warm reception. And David, before I have to let you go, just speaking of the fans, you said it's, it's unprecedented times for what people have seen in South Florida. What are the expectations like from, from the band base they're experiencing this? I mean, we all saw last season, what the potential was and knowing the talent level and this year obviously took it to a completely different level with the performance of this team and everybody, I mean, we always hear talk just, with the, there's always been the jokes. I mean, Carolina dealt with it and now they're not dealing with it anymore. Florida's had to deal with it. Uh, Arizona obviously has just been, been the butt of it as well too. But is it one of those things you're seeing that this team is getting the hype that it deserves now from a lot of hockey fans in that area that people are driving out there because this team obviously deserves to be watched uh, by a lot of fans with the way that they're performing. They're doing everything they can to fill that barn. What's been the take there in South Florida for, for hockey and, and the growth that this team is showing? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about South Florida is uh, people pay attention to winners. And right. the Panthers have done a lot of winning. I mean, it's been a, a pretty steady increase over the last few years. Uh, this is the first time in franchise history that they've qualified for the playoffs three years in a row. 
Uh, so, you know, anybody who's been paying attention, any the casual South Florida sports fan knows that there's been kind of like a little murmuring around the Panthers the last couple of years. And then this year, obviously, that's hit a huge crescendo and it's continued to, to rise and rise. And we don't know where it's going to peak. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've seen attendance steadily growing. The building's getting loud. Fans are doing the wave. They're chanting, we want 10 when the Panthers have these big scoring nights. Um, and I would expect that when the playoffs start, I mean, they just had a presale for the first round earlier this week. And I, I think the first three games tickets, if they're not completely sold out, they're really close to it. I know the lower bowl tickets were all gone in the pre-sales that they did. So, uh, I mean, you know, that's the thing about South Florida is people love winners. It's trendy. It's fun. It's cool. It's hip. <laughs> and that's what they'll do. So if the Panthers are going to do some winning, they're going to be a, a playoff team. Uh, then it's absolutely going to be fun and rocking. And, and that's something that every franchise down here has gotten a taste of at some point, even the Marlins, with their two world series runs, you know, they sold out the, that giant football stadium back when it was just the giant football stadium. Right. Um, you know, the hurricanes have had their championships, the dolphins, you know, obviously they're the dolphins. Um, but everybody's kind of had their chance except for the Panthers. And it'll be really cool to see now that they're building something that looks pretty sustainable for the next several mm -hmm. years, it'll be cool to see kind of how they ride that out and how South Florida embraces them as hopefully a winning franchise. It really will be, especially with so much young talent that that team has. It will be really cool to see over the next few years how it continues to evolve. Well, well, David, thank you so much again for joining us. We really appreciate your insight. And, hey, one of these days I want to get back down to South Florida so, so we can hang out for a game. <laughs> yes, no, get down here. We need to go out. We'll get some fish tacos. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, definitely. A lot of, lots of fun to be had, my friend. Well, you'll be down here for the All-Star game next year, right? Oh, that, see, there we go. There's there. That's the case right there. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, David, thank you so much again for joining us, folks. David Dwork uh, covering the Florida Panthers. Join us on Penalty Box Radio. Up next, we'll have our Q&A, Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 1025 The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here in ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Abigail Martin, producer Kenny taking care of us. And plenty of questions came in. Let's go ahead and just roll right with it. This one comes from the underscore real Solomon. With top talents producing in a huge way, have the Preds been a dark horse candidate? What similarities to the cup run team uh, do we have slash what stands out different in this team's identity? So I kind of skipped over it in the other segment with you, Abigail. This leads right to it. How deep can this team go? And, and I don't want you to give a cliche answer of you can get to playoffs and anything can happen. How truly far do you think this team can go? Because I will do the same thing and give my true thoughts. I love nothing more than a Cinderella team. And that's exactly what we saw in 2016. But I don't think that they have that sort of caliber because just because of the consistency that we were talking about, I don't see that they go far. I see that they get in the playoffs, maybe depending on who they play and what team decides to show up out one or two, one or second round, don't see a sweep. But I don't necessarily think that that top caliber is performing the way that it's supposed to be for there to be a deep run. Oh, that's fair. And I, I feel the same way. This is definitely a playoff team. This is a team that deserves to be in the playoffs. They've, they've had producers that produce like it. They've, they've earned that right. I believe to, to be there. They just have to continue to earn that for the rest of the season. The way that I see it is second round. This is a second round team that, that I think they could win run one round with a good matchup. That good matchup I think would be like Minnesota. I think they could do well against not Minnesota, not Colorado, dear God, <laughs> not Colorado and not Calgary. I would not like to see them play Calgary either. I think Calgary is not getting talked about enough uh, as well because it's Calgary. They're not a sexy team to talk about uh, like Colorado is like, like so many other teams can be. So I think this is a second round team, which is 
good because in the beginning of the season, I said they probably going to be out of the playoffs or just a wild card and skirt in, which they still might do that, but they're going to potentially get in with a way different way of playing than, than expected. Uh, so there's a lot for this team to build on, and that's the good thing is that this team is trending up. That's the important thing to focus on for the future of this team. What I always try to make sure people focus on is not just one year at a time, but what's the progression of this team. And that's important for Forsberg as well when it comes to signing of what's the progression of this team. Yeah, this team is trending up because you have young players coming in and producing like a Tanner Janot, like a Philip Tomasino. I know there's a Tolvin question here. We'll get to that next about him catching up and producing. You have an Alex Carrier producing. As, as a young guy on defense, he, he fits in in the top six. Dante Fabro fits in. He's young. And so seeing more and more of these players, Yusuf Saros as a starting goaltender, you have these young players that are coming in that are filling voids that were kind of there for a couple of seasons, and you can depend on young players. That's what you need for a successful team trending up. So I see that happening. So let's go this one. This one's Jack Woods. What can Ellie Tolvanen and Luke Cunnan do to elevate their games to where they need to be, Abigail? Um, Mr. 11 needs to stay out of the penalty box, problem number one. <laughs> um, second of all, I think versatility has shown to be very, like, crucial for this team, just in terms of switching around lines. You know, like last night, Joey and Phil didn't play together, but of course those are top six. Those are a completely different story at the same time. But any way to be faster, better with puck movement, something to put them on special teams and be able to do that. But with Tolvanen in particular – he does create a lot of great opportunities. So he may not show up on the score sheet every night, but he's doing what he needs to do. And I know Heinz last night said, you can't get mad at a player for not producing. You can only get mad at them for not creating good scoring opportunities. Cause if it's not him, it's someone else. And that'll get the job done at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I, I agree the, the thing with, with Tolvin and he's done so many things right this season. He really has defensively. Uh, he, he's done his job. It just, things haven't fallen his way. And so that's where you hope, like next season, or even if he you know gets back in the lineup, that he can pop a couple in and build that confidence back because things were looking so bright last season, and then the injury happened and things trailed off. But he's doing a lot of things right as a player. And then Cunning, there there's still so much potential there. You see flashes of it to where he should be the Craig Smith type of guy to where Luke Cunning should be the kind of guy where you should say twenty goals every season. That's the type of player Luke Cunning should be to where he is a should be a solid middle six winger where you can say we should expect 20 goals every year and that's it we, we shouldn't expect a 30 goal season we shouldn't expect a 15 we expect a 20 goal season because you do your job not there yet he's still young so we'll see what develops there okay this this is a this is a fun one this one comes from sean smith good friend from on the fort check if you could collaborate with president sean henry on a souvenir popcorn bucket for bridgestone arena what would it look like Abigail, what would my signature popcorn bucket partnered with the Preds look like? <laughs> I think we have to keep it PG-13, so maybe like a, <laughs> an, emo- an emoji, maybe? I mean, this one's this one's all you. I hope I never have to deal with this story when I go in, whenever we decide to go to Disney. So well, I'll sure. let you take this one. <laughs> well, Mr. Henry called it disgusting. <laughs> like, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that kind of bucket. I would, I would seriously put some thoughts into a celebratory bucket. And I think... What I'd love to see is a really good 25th anniversary of the organization buck- bucket. Mm-hmm. That's what Maybe I want to see. Like different leaders across the board as well. Different leaders, different iterations of the jersey. 
and the logo right. and everything. The navy blue jersey, just bring it back. <laughs> just, just bring it back. It's not happening. But that's what I'd want to see. I'd want to see iterations of the history of it and a brief, you know, let's go ahead and put an excerpt from my book on the history yeah. of the Predators uh, on there as well as a little bit of storytelling and everything too. Three on there. Um, some caricatures of some famous faces like, like Pete and Terry as well because they're an important part of, of the history of this team too. So that's what I want to see. Focus on the history and the evolution of the franchise and make a 25th anniversary bucket. People love anniversary buckets. <laughs> yeah. People, people go Copyright crazy them. for anniversary buckets. Copyright it and make sure it makes <laughs> correct noises. Okay, this one comes from this one comes from Johnny. Uh, as someone like you, well, me and Abigail, who cover the Preds at games from the press box, how late into regulation slash overtime are you required to submit your vote for the three stars of the game? I love Saros, but how is Johansson not the first star unless they already cut off voting? That's an excellent question, Johnny. Three stars from the media, which right now they've been basically rotating for one media member to vote on that. I've been selected a few times to select three stars of the game. Is five minutes left in regulation. That's the cutoff for us to submit that. So when did Mr. Johansson score his hat trick goal? With seven seconds left. Seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So at 1953 of the third period. So the stars had already been submitted and that would explain that. And so I think it might switch. But I mean, Saros had, had a career night in terms of making 47 saves. It was a big night for him. But yeah, I, I see that. Uh, the, the Johansson hat trick was huge. And so that hopefully answers that question right there. Uh, this one also comes from Johnny. Which one comes first? So Abigail, definitely interested in your thoughts on this. Which comes first? Forsberg hits 40 goals, Duchesne hits 40 goals, or Jeannot breaks Forsberg's rookie goal record? Ooh, I like this one. But, this I mean, evidently, the safe answer is going to be Forsberg hitting the 40 <laughs> mark. He's, you know, two goals away from doing exactly that. I was really surprised. This is just a fun fact, just really quickly. Philip Forsberg scored his first ever NHL goal against Minnesota, obviously, way back in the day, it feels like. So I was expecting him to show up with a goal of his own, but he showed up in the point section. Yeah, the, the betters were not happy with that. <laughs> they were not happy with okay. that one. Well, um, so you think Forsberg hitting 40? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it'll take long for Duchesne. I'm not that he wouldn't do it, but Forsberg, Forsberg, yeah. Yeah, I think Forsberg as well. Duchesne has four to go. Janot has three to go. Forsberg has two to go. So just naturally, <laughs> I think it's going to be Forsberg. I just, I, last night I watched that man create an amazing pass while on his knees, like he had fallen and still made it a, a great scoring opportunity while in the <laughs> offensive zone. So I'm not going to bet against him. Okay, this is a question that's not submitted to us. Does Roman Yossi hit 100 points? Has Roman Yossi hit 100 points? No, will he hit 100 points? Oh, will he? I was like, no, he's on 83. Um, it's, I mean, a three-point night I think helps. it'll come close. <laughs> right. But I think it'll come close, but I don't – are we counting postseason? That's my question. No, no, regular season points. Mm. I think he'll get close, but it's going to be like – so close, but too far away. All right. I, I think right now, as it stands, I think he'll get to 96, 97. Yeah, that would honestly be terrible in a way. But just get to 100, man. Right please. Just get to 100. Please get to 100. Everyone pass the puppy, <laughs> This one comes from Graham. 
Um, any insight on what went wrong between Nashville and Philippe Myers getting sent down as one thing, but getting loaned to the Marlies seems to imply his persona non grata in the Preds org. Yeah, it just didn't work out. It just did not work out. I, I, I can't expect him to be part of the organization next year. Just something did not work out. I know it was addressed before. They just were not impressed with the skating, um, that he wasn't fitting in and just did not fit in. Abigail, anything else to add to that? I mean, I think that's right on. And especially if you're not seeing growth from a player, like, I mean, you saw from Tolvin and everyone was expecting him to be like this amazing hockey player as soon as he got done and as soon as he was ready, but it's taken him a few years to develop and he's still developing at this NHL level. So if it's not working, I don't think they're willing to take that risk anymore after seeing kind right. of the failed players, quote unquote, in Kevin Fiala, that's now having success. It's something about this Pred system sometimes just doesn't work. Right. All right. This one came in late on Twitter from Kat. What should a first-timer at a Preds game do? What should they do first? I know there's a, so a few ladies from New York that are coming down for their first ever Preds home game uh, next week. So they're, they're very excited about that, too. So for you, Abigail, what would you suggest a first-timer do? I'm going to make a few rules. You have to get to the game uh, early. You have to be able to go down on the ice and get a spot that is along the boards. I know that used to be my favorite thing growing up because you also get to see the fun side of players like Joey will, oh, never mind, I won't spill the beans, but go <laughs> along the glass and make some noise, have fun. Don't worry about anybody else. My favorite thing to do was always the first game of the season was to get a Hunts Brothers pizza. Um, I feel like I'm missing something. Sit in cell block 303. Do yourself a favor, go sit in the cell block and have the time of your life. Don't worry about anything else. Make friends if you have questions, whatever everyone in that building will be sure to help you out. So just have as much fun. Cheer as loud as you can and act. Make sure you look up in the risers and see Pat Rene's banner. There you go. My, my suggestion too would be to make sure you get there early, take everything in, be down on the glass for warmups uh, and soak that in. Because if you arrive late, you're not getting that adrenaline slow build and you just, you don't want to just get thrust into it. You want to build it up. And that's all part of the excitement is being there for warmups uh, and then getting to your actual seats, uh, feeling that energy through the concourse and everything too. That is one of those things that is absolutely important about experiencing National Predators game is being there early and just experience what it's like on Broadway too after the game. Because uh, even on a weekday game, it's still hopping around there, just kind of soaking it in. I saying you have to go to the bars or anything, but just kind of hang out, see what the crowd's like when people are excited and happy. Uh, absolutely love that. All right. Well, Abigail, really, truly appreciate you joining uh, for, for tonight, especially last minute. And thank you for giving your insight. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. All right, folks. Well, for producer Kenny and Abigail Martin, who is in for Glenn tonight, this is Justin Bradford. Thanks so much for listening to Penalty to Box Radio here in ESPN 1025, The Game.